Good morning. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. Jose, can you make sure and keep an eye on the air conditioner? We're not frozen out. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We left off last week in verses 1 and 2, and I really believe the Lord has more for us in those two verses. So here we go. Paul, by the Holy Spirit. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for being so black and white clear, Lord, with us in your word. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, you'd give us the grace this morning to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, verse 1 says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Two verses before in the previous chapter, verse 20, Paul says, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you, which means beg, we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Make peace with God. That's what reconcile means. So make peace with God. We beg you, we plead with you, verse 1 of chapter 6. Do not receive the uh, grace of God in vain. And then he says in verse 2 of chapter 6, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Why should I do business with God today, now? Why today? Why not wait? I have a long life ahead of me. What's the point? I have plenty of time to think this through. I have plenty of time to sort of get 100% comfortable with what I'm doing It's not what the Bible says our response to the Lord should be. It says, now, 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 now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. So why does it say that? Well, we talked about this last week. Genesis 6 says this. God says, my spirit will not strive with man forever. Meaning, 
My spirit shall not struggle with man forever. The Bible says that from the time that we emerge from our mother's womb, we are in a struggle with God. From the time we come out of our mother's room, some of the new moms in here with babies are like, oh, wow, that's what's going on. Yeah, I get it. You know, uh, you can really understand that with the little ones. But, um, uh, but it is true. The Bible says that we are in a struggle with God uh, uh, from the time we emerge from our mother's room. But God, by his grace, began to draw us to himself. In fact, from the time we were conceived. A mystery. We don't completely understand it. God began to draw us to himself, but we resist. He draws, we resist. He drew us, drew us, drew us. We resisted, resisted, resisted. He wants to bless us, but he can only do that if he has full reign over our lives. Um, he can only bless us if we give up control of, of our lives over to him. So he draws us to himself so that he can get full reign, but we resist. We push back. He draws us to himself. We resist. In other words, there is a struggle between God's spirit and us. He draws us. We resist. You know, Greg and I, uh, and, and Albert and I, and, and Rich and Dave and the others who do worship, uh, I don't coordinate uh, what they sing on, on Sunday mornings. It's, it's completely the Holy Spirit. The last song said this, Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with a sinner's heart. Great is your faithfulness, O God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. There's a struggle. There's a struggle between man and God. Verse 1 says, do not receive the grace of God in vain. So what is grace? It means getting what we don't deserve. So when God continues to draw us, even after we have spent uh, months, years, a lifetime of resistant, li- resisting, listen, that's grace. That's grace. The Bible says that God created us from dusts, Scientists will tell you that is scientifically accurate. The human body is made up of the same eight or so compounds that soil is made of. Isaiah 45, 6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I, the Lord, do all these things. God formed us from dirt. He formed us for a relationship with him. And he deserves all of us. He formed us, he created us, then he placed us in his garden, which he tends for us, for our pleasure. Uh, he, He tends it day and night. However, we inherited the sin of Adam. We were born in sin with the pride and rebellion in our heart. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, In sin my mother conceived me. The pride and rebellion in our hearts is ever saying, No God, no God, no God. I want to be in control. I want to call the shots. I want to be the God of my life. Nevertheless, God, who the Bible says is abounding in grace. 1 Timothy 1.14 refers to the grace of God as exceedingly abundant. 
God, in His grace, continues to give us what we don't deserve. How? By, in spite of the fact we're saying, no God, no God, no God, He continues to draw us in. From the time we're conceived, He continues to draw, but we resist. He draws, we resist. He draws, we resist. In His grace, God strives. He struggles with us. He wrestles. So what does it mean when God saves a man? You hear all the time in churches, well, I got saved, or that person's saved, or I've been saved since I was 22, or, or whatever. What does it mean when God saves a, a, a man, a woman? Romans 10, 9, 10, we discussed this last week, says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning your master, meaning you give him control over your life, meaning you agree His will is the deciding factor in everything that you do. Just at a point of time, you make Jesus your Lord. doesn't mean you're always going to allow Him to be your Lord, but salvation means at a point of time saying, yes, Jesus, now, you're my Lord. I'm giving you control. It says, if you confess, Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. A man, a woman is saved at the moment in time when finally they stop resisting. God draws, and rather than resist, which they've been doing their whole life, they allow themselves to be drawn in. They hear the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, died for their sins, rose from the dead, and they stop resisting. They make Him their Lord. Salvation is as simple as that. It happens in a moment of time. It doesn't happen after over a period of years where you work, 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 work to try to get your way to God, it happens by a prayer of faith. And Paul says, we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, verse 1. So what does that mean, receiving the grace of God in vain? Well, think of, imagine being with a group of people in the desert. You've been in the desert for weeks, months, and then uh, eventually you reach the point where you haven't had water just for a number of days. And you begin to die. The dying process starts taking over in your life. But a caravan appears. Some people come out of it, of the caravan, and hand everyone little empty jars. Then they pull out huge vats of water, huge jugs, and, and they begin to pour the water into the containers of the people. Imagine then taking your uh, water and you throw it to the ground next to you. And the people from the caravan who are pouring the water, they cry out, Don't do that, you're going to die. And they pour more water in your little jar and you pour it aside. And they say, Come on, don't throw it out, you're going to die. This is meant to give you life. Drink it. And they pour more and you throw it aside. And they pour more in in your jar and you pour it out. And finally they're saying, look, don't receive this water in vain. Don't take it in vain. The water was given to, to you to save you, to nourish you, to build you up, to restore you to life. Don't throw it aside. You're receiving it in vain. What's eventually going to happen? Eventually, what's going to happen? The person pouring the water is just going to stop pouring it out. What's the point? What is the point here? 
Now is the time to take the water. Today, tomorrow you may not uh, be alive. Tomorrow uh, the water may not be around, uh, but you're refusing. It's the same way with grace. Paul says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't receive the Lord's grace in vain. Why? Because God will not struggle with you forever. He's not going to struggle with you forever. That's what his word says. That's what the testimony of the Bible from cover to cover says. He's not going to struggle with you uh, forever. You are a man, woman with a freedom of choice. Free will. He draws you resist. He draws you resist. He draws you resist. He pours out his grace. You throw it aside. He pours out his grace. You throw it aside. He pours out his grace. You throw it aside. But he will not do that forever The word says, I will not struggle with man forever, God says. At some point, God's going to say, have it your way. There's no point of pouring out my water uh, in your heart only to have you throw it aside. That's why Paul is pleading with them in verse 1. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. When I was 22 years old, I was over in Europe and where I was for a few months just running around. and I was uh, not a Christian at the time, but I went up to this little Christian community up in Switzerland, up in the Alps. It was called Labrie, and uh, a lot of things weren't making sense in my life. I had sort of grown up in a church, but the cross, things like that, started seeming really primitive, <laughs> you know. And I, I, I uh, can say at that time, it was not until that time, for the first time in my life, I began to seek the Lord. I hadn't grown up in churches that there was even that concept of seeking the Lord. You sort of take God for granted. You do the religious thing. You go to church. But, like, seeking him, like, what do you want from me? Who are you? Him? Who am I? None of that did I grow up with. I did not grow up in what I would call Christian churches. They were sort of uh, believe what you want kind of churches. And so I, I was in the Alps, and one day it dawned on me as I was seeking the Lord for the first time in my life uh, that I had been in a struggle with God my whole life, that my whole life had been about self, that I'd been in the driver's seat my whole life. All the while, God was trying to take over, but I was saying, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you, the whole way. As I mentioned last week, I had always thought of myself as a friend of God. I had grown up in church. I knew all the Bible stories. I was an altar boy at one point. I was in church musicals. I went even a couple times on, I guess you would call them, uh, missions trips in high school to fix houses in the Appalachian Mountains. Even one time I went down to the jungle in the Amazon to visit a missionary. I remember they were getting stung, by the way, by these ants that were this big. They were called 24 horas because they, 24 hours, because they stung for 24 hours and, and uh, cussing really loudly. And I was wondering, what are these missionaries? I wonder today, what are these missionaries thinking? But anyway, uh, but all of a sudden when I'm 22, but uh, I'm, I'm on the top of the Alps sitting underneath an apple tree of all places. Uh, sink, uh, after seeking God for the first time in my life, it dawned on me never once had I given God control over my life. I never really asked him whether I had done that. And, in fact, and when I bothered asking him, he said, well, no, you haven't. God, 
created us. He formed us out of dust to have a relationship with him. We're supposed to be asking him questions like that. God, have I ever asked you to take control over my life? Well, no. And so I did say, okay, Lord, you drive. I'm tired of crashing this thing and blooding up my life. And he, he has... He had been drawing me in. I had been resisting, drawing me in, resist, drawing me in, resist. He poured out the grace. I threw it aside. He poured out the grace. I threw it aside. I had received the grace of God in vain. But finally said, okay, Lord, I'll give you control. And it took a little while to get used to him having the driver's seat, a few years, But I'd like to do something a little different this morning. I want to pause for a moment. I want each of you to simply ask the Lord in your heart, Lord, have I given you total control over my life? I've always considered you a friend, Lord, but have, have you been trying to draw me in my whole life only to have me resist? Have I really been putting you, uh, giving you control over the decision-making of my life? Have I uh, gotten up ever one time, Lord, specifically by faith, out of the driver's seat of my life and, and, and let you take over the will of my life? I'd like every one of you, just right now, we're not getting weird here, promise, but just to bow your heads now, close your eyes. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and, like, and like, just right now, ask the Lord in, in the quietness of your heart, Lord, have I given you control? Have I been resisting you my whole life? Have I ever really, Lord, made you master? Let's take a... Just going to be quiet for a moment like you all to just, in the quietness of your heart, ask the Lord those things. You can open your eyes. Now, if you feel the Lord is telling you no, and believe me, he'll be faithful to do that, either now or sometime between now and the end of the service or after this you know, service uh, during the week, that type of thing, this is a matter that can be settled between you and God by a prayer of faith, just as I mentioned before. Actually, there will be people right up here after the service who will pray through with you and just so you can just give... God control over your life. It's a simple matter that, matter that you can do. You don't have to be under an apple tree in Switzerland to do that. You can be anywhere. There'll be people up here to pray with you if, if, if you've never done that. Settle that matter today. Now, for those of you who, at some point in your life, you've already settled the matter, you're a, you're a born-again Christian. The Bible says that every man, woman, in order to go to heaven, needs to be born twice. Once from their mother's womb, a second time spiritually, because they're born dead spiritually. Uh, if you are a born-again Christian, you uh, believed uh, that Jesus, who is who he said uh, he is, and he's the Son of God and died for you, and he was raised from the dead, and you uh, believed at some point in your life, and you gave him the driver's seat. I'd like to speak with you for a few minutes.
You know, here in the first two verses of 2 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing not only to unbelievers, I think supremely, he's, he's, he's writing to you and me. He says, We then, as workers together with him, with Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, you may be saved. You gave God the driver's seat a long time ago. After years of him drawing you, you stopped resisting and you made him Lord your master. But since that time, there is some area of your life which you've taken back. And God, by His grace, because He is so faithful, has resumed His struggle with you. Or there may be an issue that has been with, that was with you, actually, when you came into the kingdom of God, when you made Jesus your Lord. But recently, or maybe not so recently, that God revealed to you that you've always had this issue in your life and He's been striving with you, struggling with you, to give it up. Brother, sister, verse 2, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to stop the struggle and give the area over to God. Listen to the word of God again. My spirit will not strive with man forever. He's not going to strive with you forever on this issue. You know, as a pastor, I can't think of any area which is just so discourages me than to see this process where someone, a man, a woman, resists, 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 and then one day, it's almost visual. You can almost see it with your eyes. God stops the struggle, and it's sort of over. (laughs) The struggle's over. Lord says, okay, have it your way. You want to take the water and throw it aside over and over and over again? You're not interested? Okay. I'm not going to struggle anymore. Wow, are you in a dangerous place when that happens. At least you're in a place where you have sacrificed the fullness of God, what God wants to do in your life. At a minimum. I want to give you an example of this that I see maybe more in this area than anyone else, people giving up. I shouldn't say people giving up. I, I should say people resisting, 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 and finally the struggle is no longer there. They've just resisted too long. It's the area of laziness. And I think it's very appropriate that we talk about it because what does verse 1 says? We then as workers together with Jesus. God wants to make you into a worker, a hard worker. He wants to make you into a worker so he can work, you can work with him. It says we then as workers together with him. He wants to make you into a diligent worker with him. The carnal man, the carnal woman, our flesh slacks off. We're slackers in the flesh. We, we sleep in in the flesh. The King James calls it slothfulness. 
Anyone ever seen a sloth? I actually, believe it or not, when I lived in um, South America for a while growing up in my youth, there was a couple of sloths in my backyard. You know, it's like a mime or something. Yeah, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're really slow. In, in Proverbs, um, this uh, t- slothfulness, but Proverbs also calls this person a sluggard. Now, you've seen a slug, you know, one of those grimy, gooey, uh, gross things that, you know, that doesn't move, a slug. Uh, the, the, look it up in a dictionary. It says, any one of various snail-like terrestrial gastropods having no shell or, or only a rudimentary one feeding on plants and a pest of leafy garden crops. I bet you didn't know when you came in today. You were going to get the dictionary uh, uh, definition of a slug. But that's a slug, really slow. And they're grimy and they're gooey and they're gross. And the Bible says sluggards calls men and women who are sluggards. And guess, guess what? We all have that sluggard in the, in the seedbed of our heart. And I love the Proverbs on this. And, and if you ever wonder why there's so many Proverbs on slothfulness, laziness, sluggard, it's because of this. You and I have issues with it. And it will destroy your walk with God if you don't deal with it. And that's why so many Proverbs are dedicated uh, to this. Proverbs 26, 13. I love this. And I quote, The lazy man said, There is a lion in the road, a fierce lion in the streets. What's that about? (laughs) The lazy man says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion in the streets. In other words, in our laziness, we will come out with the most far-out excuses so that we can continue to sit around all day doing nothing. You know, I can't go out and weed the garden. I heard a drop of rain uh, on the window. I know it's all blue sky outside, but, and there's no clouds, but I don't want to go out there and be poured on. You know, There's a lion in the streets. You know, I can't go out and do what I'm supposed to do. Proverbs 26, 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. You know this one? You know, all night, and, and you know, uh, you know, uh, th- th- what there's work to do. No, you shut up the alarm. You know, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man uh, on his bed. Proverbs twenty six fourteen says, "This is just wonderful." The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl, and it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. Wow. That's laziness for you. And guess what? Um, That's in the seedbed uh, of your heart and my heart. And let me tell you, the Lord's going to deal with you in this area. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. He wants to make you a worker together with Him. He wants to turn you into a worker together with Him. And by His grace, He will struggle. (laughs) He will strive with you. He'll prod you, he'll poke you, he'll push you, he'll pull you. In his grace, he may even pummel you or wholly punch you to get you going. Uh, But again, listen, his spirit's not going to strive with you forever. 
Lord will be speaking to you. Come on, you know, time to get out of bed. You, you need to go to church. You know, Lord, I, I, I heard a gorilla escape from the Franklin Zoo. I don't want to go out and get killed. I want to stay in here with my popcorn and sofa and TV. There's a lion in the streets. There's a lion on the roads, in other words. Uh, or the Lord will say, come on, get out of bed. I want you to take some time to talk with me. I want devotion time. I, 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 I want to, to re- you to read my word, to get to know you. Just like a door on its hinges. Uh, come on, um, uh, uh, um, Steve, uh, the Lord says. You know, you've been in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 for three weeks. In the beginning, of the, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Why don't you turn to page 2? Well, you know, my, my hand's on the page, Lord, and I, I just can't bear to turn the page. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wears him to bring it back to his mouth. And that's how we are with the study of God's word. God forbid. You know, the Lord will be relentless with you in this area. By his grace, he will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to bring you to a place in your life where there's discipline. He'll try to draw you out of bed. He'll try to draw you into his word. He'll try to draw you into service, to serving a church. He'll try to uh, for, draw you for years and years and years. He wants to change you from a couch potato to, uh, to a hot potato working for him. But listen, he's not going to strive forever. At some point after he pours the grace uh, uh, into you and and you just throw it aside, he'll he'll say, have it your way. And I've seen this in people's lives. Listen to Proverbs 24.30. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Listen, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and, l- and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, scarcity like an armed man. If you continue to resist God and his struggle to make you diligent, to make you into a worker with him. Let me tell you, there'll be thorns and weeds all over your spiritual life. So much so that after a few years, people won't even be able to recognize you. No joy, no passion, no, no focus, no fruit. The stone wall will be in ruins. Cobwebs over your relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, I have seen it, and it's so painful to behold. Today is the day to allow the Lord to draw you in, quit resisting him so you can become a worker with him. Now, of course, it's not just with laziness that God strives, that he struggles with us in your life. Maybe uh, it's uh, working too much. Maybe you're running yourself into the ground for worldly gain. Maybe it's an addiction like overeating, uh, smoking, or drinking to excess. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a job you're not supposed to be in or in a, a relationship you're not supposed to be in. Uh, maybe it's some area of sexual immorality. Uh, he's struggling to get this thing out of your life. You resist. resist. He strives. You resist. He struggles you resist and 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 this goes on and on let me tell you that god will not strive with that forever turn with me to judges chapter 15 i want to give you a real life example of where this has happened judges chapter 15 in the old testament it's about what eight 
books to the, from the beginning of the Bible, Judges chapter uh, 15 and 16. Actually, you can be, uh, ch- chapter 14. Now, uh, uh, in the book of Judges, Israel had just come into the promised land, and God used a series of men and women who were called judges to deliver Israel. And Samson was one of those judges. Now, Samson was under a Nazarite vow. That means that was uh, something that Moses, uh, God through Moses, was a law given to Israel, and it was a special consecration, a life specially consecrated to the Lord. No grapes, no wine, no cutting your hair, no, um, you couldn't touch a dead body, this kind of thing. And uh, it was a special consecration to the Lord. Samson was one of these judges that God, uh, God used to deliver Israel. And uh, he had in his life a lust issue. Now, that's not unusual for a man. Uh, men have this issue, but the problem was uh, with Samson was uh, seemingly he had no desire to give this area of his life uh, over to the Lord. When it came to sexual lusts, Samson was in the driver's seat, and no one, even God, was going to take over that seat. And we see in the life of Samson, God striving, God struggling with him. So in chapter 14, it says, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a daughter, I mean a woman in Timnah, of the daughters of the Philistines. Now the Philistines did not believe in God. They had uh, all kinds of practices, sexual practices and otherwise, that were unbelievably corrupt. And they were complete. The women of the Philistines were totally off limits uh, to the Israelites. But the thing is, uh, to a man like Samson, the other thing, uh, the thing that was off limits uh, to the Philistine women was any sense of moderation. And they were very sensual women. And they made sure when they went out in the streets, uh, they looked sensual and and seductive and and this kind of thing. It says that uh, Samson saw one of them, and he went, uh, verse 2, up, and he told his mother and father, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Now, here you'll see the struggle with God uh, through his parents. Uh, It says, then his father and mother, verse 3, said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. In other words, I'm sorry, uh, I'm resisting, I'm struggling, I'm going to not want the, I'm not going to have, uh, be obedient to God in this. He may be struggling, but I'm going to resist. God always gives us the choice to uh, uh, be hardened in our resistance of him. So then it goes on, he gets into a whole heap of trouble uh, because of it. Uh, In verse 10, it says, His father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, uh, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. And sort of uh, here at the bachelor's party here in verse 12, Samson says to them, Well, let me pose a riddle to you. If you correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, 
Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, he was referring to a lion which he had killed, which over time had died, and some bees had gone in there, and some honey had literally uh, been created in the carcass of a lion. And so this was his uh, riddle. For three days, it says, they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Hmm, wonder why God didn't want uh, Samson marrying a Philistine woman. This is what they're like. Have you invited us in order to take what is yours? Is that not so? So uh, Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or mother, so should I explain it to you? Verse 17, Now she had wept on him for seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much, he, so he told her. And then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And you wonder why God didn't want him to marry a Philistine? Well, this is it. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than money? What is stronger than a lion? He said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, meaning if you had not been with my wife, you would not have solved my riddle. It says, then the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, uh, took their apparel, and cha- uh, gave the change of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Uh, so his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And listen, verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So why doesn't God want him to go to the Philistines? Well, their best men aren't very faithful, neither are their, uh, their, their daughters. Why? Because they worshipped a pagan false god, a dead god. And so you have this situation with Samson, and, you know, I would say, wouldn't you, that God had started struggling with him in an awfully big way. Look, this is what happened when you resist me in this area of your life. This area of your life which you've refused to give over to me. This lust problem, this lust issue, I can deal with it for you. But if you don't give it to me, this is what's going to be uh, uh, happen. It's going to be a mess. Your best friend uh, is going to take your wife and, and there will be all kinds of just craziness and mayhem. Struggled with Samson on this issue, wrestled with Samson on this issue. But we're going to see Samson continue to resist. In verse 1, it says, uh, Samson went down to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, in the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. Verse 3, and Samson lay low till midnight, then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts, pulled them up, uh, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill uh, that faces Hebron. So more incredible problems for him. People lie in wait to kill him. God, So God is struggling with him. God's allowing this stuff in his life. No, Samson, don't resist me on this issue. It's only going to create problems. Now remember that Samson... Uh, he, he had never cut his hair in his whole life, and 
the thing that happened that was unique to him with this Nazarite vow was that the, his consecration, which his hair, which represented his con- consecration, as long as he kept his hair and he didn't cut it, he was just an amazingly strong man. Now, sort of superhuman, straight, supernatural strength. Now, it wasn't just the hair that was what kept him strong. It was the consecration, and that consecration was represented in the length of his hair. So God is struggling over him, this issue of lust. He struggles, he struggles, he struggles. Uh, verse 4, now it starts getting real bad. This struggle continues. Uh, verse 4, it says, Afterward it happened that uh, he loved a woman in the valley of uh, Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Samson, Samson just resisting the Lord. God wanted him with a, one of the daughters of Israel who knew the living God, who knew about modesty, moderation. No, he went with sort of the, the women who uh, dressed down to the, the, the uh, least possible, the, the, the whole sensuality thing. They're showing their flesh. That's who he was attracted to. He, he, and he was, uh, God was struggling with him over the issue. Uh, he refused to give in. Verse 6 says, So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. So Samson says to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, yet not dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Underscore those words, underline those words, any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with him in the room, and she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. So God is continuing the struggle, continuing to strive with Samson, continuing to wrestle. And look, you don't want to do this. It just brings danger and calamity into your life. But Samson was not going to to, uh, allow himself to be overtaken by God in the struggle, and he continues to resist. Verse 10, Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me, and you told me lies. Now, please tell me what you may be bound with. So he told her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. So he's getting her... He's allowing her. God's struggling with him. No, 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 Samson. He says, yes, yes, yes. And what's happening? God is starting to remove himself from Samson, and Samson's starting to get, uh, allow uh, Delilah closer and closer to that piece um, of his life, that part of his life that represents full consecration, full dedication to God. She's actually telling her, okay, now 
well, why don't you take my hair and, and tie it up uh, in, a, uh, in locks on a loom, verse 14. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my hem, for I I am a Nazarite to God uh, from my mother's womb. If I am shaving... Uh, shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. What does God say? I will not strive with man forever. God gave up the struggle. Have it your way, Samson. God wanted to keep Samson not like any other man. He was a judge. He was a deliverer of Israel. He was not like any other man. God wanted to keep him like that. And God had been in this relentless struggle with him for actually years on this issue. But finally, again, in accordance with his word, God says, I'm not going to strive with man forever. He gives up the struggle. Samson gives the secret uh, in, uh, uh, you know, to his strength. Uh, Delilah cuts off his hair. The Philistines come upon him. They drag him away. Uh, And verse 21 says, The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in prison. So now you are getting a glimpse here of how much it breaks a pastor's heart, how much it breaks anyone's heart who loves God. To see a person struggle, that, you know, that, that God is struggling with them, striving with them, wrestling with them year after year after year in a particular area of their life, whether it's laziness or sexual immorality or pride or anger or, or um, you know, drunkenness, whatever. Here is the end. Here is the sort of where we see how why it is just so dangerous to allow that to happen. This man, uh, Samson, has his eyes plucked out. He's just beaten, and he's in prison and put in fetters. Let me tell you, brother, sister in Christ, do not allow this thing in your life that you've been holding on to, don't let it reach the point where you, where Satan takes it and you become like any other man or any other woman because, listen, you're not like any other man or woman. You're a child of God. God created you, formed you out of dust, out of soil, for a relationship with him. You gave him the driver's seat. He's, he, you gave him him at that one point, and he, he did it. Why? To, so to, he could form you and make you into a worker with him. You are not like any other man. That's not sort of 
Christian arrogance or pride. That's what the Bible says of you. You are not like any other man. Uh, uh, ladies, you're not like any other woman. You are a child of God. You are a, 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 a woman of God, a man of God that God is forming to be a worker with Jesus. And so, Paul says, I plead with you, and I plead with you this morning, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to give over this issue to the Lord. So again, there will be people up here after the service to pray. If you'd like to pray through something, don't have to tell them the particular issue, but if you'd like to pray through something, there will be people up here. Oh, how powerful the Word of God is, isn't it? There's so much hope. There's just a, It's such a glorious life, living for the Lord. And I just love the way He promises to make us into the men and women that he wants us to be, even as we do give him control of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Again, just as we began, Lord, for just being so crystal clear, so black and white, Lord, with the different issues in our life. And we thank you for the struggle that you have been in with us, Lord, because it's just by your grace. Who else, after we resisted for weeks, months, and years, who else would love us enough to continue the struggle? You, Lord. Your grace is exceedingly abundant towards us. And we praise you for that, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember communion this evening. We have communion this evening. Please rise. We're going to close with a worship song.
you guys are dismissed.